Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be breaking down the Thursday, March 2nd college basketball DFS slate for DraftKings and FanDuel. Got a nice little 10-game slate on DraftKings, 5-game slate on FanDuel. And y'all, it's kind of our normal Thursday fare. If you've been following the Thursday slates all season, they're really heavy in Big Ten and Pac-12 action. And that's what we got here tonight with a little bit of American Athletics sprinkled in as well. So it's going to be a lot of teams that if you've been playing the Thursday night slates, you should be pretty familiar with, although there's a lot of injury situations that we got to be updated on and there's a lot of stuff we monitor as we get closer to tip off so hopefully we'll provide you with plenty of plays here on this show that no matter what the injury situations end up being you will have a lineup full of guys that are ready to go and ready to win you some money now if you have not noticed yet and I couldn't blame you if you didn't. DraftKings is having a um, afternoon Thursday contest, which I was really excited about. And then I saw the games they were doing. And it was, I believe, Evanston and Illinois State. And then Indiana State's playing somebody. Well, and well anyway, I am going to be playing on that slate. I'm not going to be devoting a podcast episode to it. Um, I am going to be putting the picks up on the Patreon for that slate. So if you are playing the Thursday afternoon slate and you want to know what my picks look like, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. It's going to be some teams that we're not overly familiar with, but we've seen on the holiday slates before. And we have a subscription to Ken Palm. So by using Ken Palm, by looking at all the numbers, um, we should be able to identify some values and identify some plays for that afternoon slate that can help win us some money. All right, so that does it for the introductions, y'all. Let's go ahead and jump into this Thursday night slate. But first, a quick word from our friends at Anchor. So I got to be honest, y'all, looking at this slate as a whole, this is not exactly the juiciest slate in the world. It's not exactly the highest scoring slate in the world. And I mean, if we're being honest with all the Big Ten teams that are in action and, you know, the fact that we have Cal and Oregon State and Washington State in action, um, that's kind of not shocking. We've got a lot of teams that play at slow tempos, a lot of teams that are not good at offensive basketball. So there are a few slates and a few teams that we definitely want to take advantage of. The first slate or the first game, I should say, on the slate that we want to take advantage of is Arizona at USC. That is the only game on the slate that is over a 150 total according to Vegas, and it is at 155. Ken Palm actually has this one a little bit higher at Arizona, 80 to 79, 159 points scored. The previous meeting between these two teams was an 81 to 66 Arizona win. So that is 147. So I would expect it to kind of settle down there in that 150 range. Um, and I definitely think that this is one that you're going to want to be getting some exposure to just because the other game environments aren't that great. In fact, there's only one other game that is over 140 according to Vegas, and that is Michigan at Illinois with a total of 144. Ken Palm has this game as Illinois 75 71, so 146 total points scored according to Ken Pomp. Now, even though their game environments might not be the best, there are three teams that have a total of over 73 implied points, and that is UCLA, Houston, and Oregon. And what's also worth noting is that they're all double-digit favorites, so there's all a little bit of um, a blowout risk with those three teams. All right, now speaking of UCLA, nice little segue into the guard position, and the highest name on the board at the guard position is actually a guy who gets dual eligibility, and he is a UCLA Bruin, and that is Jaime Jaquez Jr. His production has started to stabilize a little bit. We talked about earlier in the season how he was really erratic, where he would return you like two times value or five times value on his salary. He's starting to kind of have more of the three and four performances. He's starting to be a little bit more stable, a little more predictable. Now, one thing that is important, and this is kind of not shocking, is that his usage rate has remained pretty similar. He's still at a 27% usage rate on the season, and he hasn't been under a 25% usage rate in his last five games. So what that means is he still gives you the same ceiling that he has had before. It's just 
for some reason, it's kind of starting to regress towards the mean, which I guess is what happens, right? So he's still going to give you the ceiling, but I definitely think that you're more than likely to get like a 3.5 to 4 times performance out of Jaime Jaquez now at this point in the season than we were earlier in the season. Now, looking down the board, Craig Porter Jr. of Wichita is next up, and he has gone crazy in his last two games, averaging 50 fantasy points in those two games. But um, I'll be honest, I want no part of him going up against this Houston defense. Um, he had 16.5 fantasy points against Houston the last time, and that game was in Wichita, and they only lost by nine points. And Houston is 17-point favorites Thursday night, and I'm pretty confident it's Houston's senior night. So, um not exactly a whole lot going for Craig Porter Jr. aside from that recent form. So it's probably going to be a pass for me, but we talk about this with DFS all the time. If everybody looks at somebody and says, oh, that's a bad play, I'm not playing him, then he kind of becomes a good play in GPP fields where you can get a guy at super low ownership and he's shown us the ceiling that he has the ability to go off. I don't think that it's likely to happen, but he might be worth a low owned GPP pivot play. Now, for USC, Drew Peterson and Boogie Ellis are both in play against the Arizona team because of the game environment, because Arizona is a top 10 tempo team in the nation, according to Ken Palm. And that's going to create more possessions in this game. And more possessions tends to favor the guy who gets more peripheral stats as opposed to the guy who's just a scorer. And if you've been following USC, you know that when I say the peripheral stats, then I'm talking about Drew Peterson. Boogie Ellis is pretty much just there to do one thing, and that is score. So I really think that the game environment will help out Drew Peterson more than Ellis. And the previous matchup against Arizona backs that up. Drew Peterson had 30 fancy points in that game, whereas Boogie Ellis only had 23. However, like I said, they are both in play for me on this Thursday night. Now, if you have not heard the Matthew Mayer caffeine story, you, you got to find this somewhere, right? So Matthew Mayer, apparently after their Sunday win over, I believe it was Ohio State, went home and drank five energy drinks and played video games all night, and had to be set out of practice due to caffeine poisoning for two days. Which, if you know what Matthew Mayer looks like, just based off of physical appearance alone, is a story that should not surprise anybody. He looks like a guy who would stay up all night playing video games and drinking Monster Energy drinks. Now, the only follow-up question I have for this is, what video game was he playing? Because this is an entirely different story if he's playing Call of Duty or if he's playing 2K. If, if it's playing Call of Duty, that kind of checks out to be on brand with Matthew Mayer. If it's 2K, I kind of got to respect the guy's game because he's trying to, you know, get in the lab a little bit, right? Anyway, that's beside the point. So the caffeine story with Matthew Mayer, I just don't trust that he's at 100% health right now. Like caffeine sickness sounds kind of serious. And so I don't see him being able to play the normal minute load with the normal usage rate. So I'm probably going to be off of Matthew Mayer. I know that's a silly reason to be off of somebody, but if you don't think you're going to be getting 100% of the guy, then why play him, right? So what that means for Illinois is that Terrence Shannon Jr., who is back in the lineup, by the way, is going to be a heavy usage player. He was in his first game back. He's going to be in this game. And Matthew Mayer, for being totally honest, he's still at the price point that he was at when Terrence Shannon Jr. was out of the lineup. And he just isn't going to get the same usage rate with Shannon Jr. in the lineup. So I just kind of think if it's a fade for Matthew Mayer anyway, and that, you know, the little caffeine incident just kind of makes it easier to fade him, in my opinion. Now, looking further down the board, Marcus Sasser of Houston only had 25.5 fantasy points the last time that Houston played Wichita State, but he's hit four times value in his last two games, and he averages more fantasy points at home than on the road. He is definitely in play against Wichita State. I'll be honest, the top of the 7K range at the guard position is largely uninteresting to me, so we're going to check down lower. Cam Spencer of Rutgers has a chance at a big game against Minnesota. I think Rutgers should win this game against Minnesota in a blowout. Minnesota's kind of turned into the punching bag of the Big Ten, and 
you know, I really think Rutgers can do it again. They blew them out the first time. And in that first game, Cam Spencer had 30.8 fantasy points. So that would be four times value. So I'm kind of willing to go back to Cam Spencer for this one. For Michigan, Jet Howard is very questionable for this game. He was a game-time decision Sunday against Wisconsin and did not play, so I'm kind of expecting him to be a game-time decision again Thursday night. I don't know if he goes or not, but if he doesn't go, Kobe Bufkin is definitely worth a look. In the last two games that Jet Howard has sat out, Kobe Bufkin is averaging 37.5 fantasy points per game, and that's coming with an incredibly high usage rate, which was at a staggering 31% against Wisconsin. Kobe Bufkin is a very solid play if Jet Howard is out of the lineup. The last play in the 7K range that I got to talk about is David Dunn of Temple. So this is a story that hasn't really been covered a whole lot, but Khalif Battle, who is Temple's probably their best player, for being honest, and he was definitely their usage rate leader. He is not with the program right now. So basically what happened was he was benched for the second half of a Wichita State game. Uh, it was two games ago, I believe. And he's just kind of like, you know what, I'm done. And he's kind of just left the program and you know, it's kind of amazing that nobody's really talking about it, but I guess because they're Temple and they're not a tournament team or whatever, just nobody has any interest. But anyway, in those two games since, David Dunn has been really good. He's gone for 33.8 and 47.8 fantasy points in those two games, and he's taken a total of 32 shots. So a lot of the usage rate that was kind of just voided by Khalif Battle is going straight to David Dunn, and I think that he is actually very underpriced considering what his usage could be in this game against UCF. Now, in the 6K range, there are some mildly interesting plays, if I'm being honest. Uh, TJ Bamba had 36.3 fantasy points last time he played against Washington. For UCLA, Tiger Campbell, everything is currently trending upward. We've talked, well, I don't know if we talked about this before, but over the course of his career, Tiger Campbell is a postseason player. He plays very well in conference tournaments. He plays very well in NCAA tournaments. NCAA tournaments, if you have not heard an analyst say this in your years of watching college basketball, revolve around guard play. And so Tiger Campbell is going to start taking on a bigger role as we get into March here. And he's kind of done it in his last two games, if you know you haven't noticed. And he also had 28.3 fantasy points against Arizona State the last time those two teams played. So better usage rate with an already good performance. Tiger Campbell is of interest to me. And then the last guy I want to talk about is Ithiel Horton. He's been the best UCF guard as of late, and he's also had the highest usage rate out of the three UCF guards as of late. So I definitely think he is in play against Temple. And then the last two plays in the 6K range are very injury dependent. If Chucky Hepburn happens to miss this game for Wisconsin, Connor Asijan should step into kind of the um, the lead role offensively and you know see a little bit more usage. And then if Jet Howard misses again for Michigan, Doug McDaniel will continue to see increased usage like he has the last two games. Now, heading down to the 5K range, there is one clear and obvious play that is going to be very chalky, and that is Heisier Miller of Temple. So he has benefited from the Khalif battle leaving the program incident, but he's also benefited from Jaleel White's injury. Side note, if they don't call Jaleel White Urkel, or like if that's not his nickname, then they're letting me down because if your name is Jaleel White, you deserve to be called Urkel. Anyway, Heisier Miller, back to what I was talking about. Heiser Miller has been great recently. He has at least 27 fantasy points in four straight games, and he has at least a 17% usage rate in all four of those games. So he's seeing an increase in usage, and he's producing with it. I just think it's an absolute smash spot for Heiser Miller. However, I do expect him to be popular because I think anybody who just clicks on the game log is going to see that he's been great lately and plug him into their lineups. The 4K range and below has some very injury-dependent plays. If Jet Howard misses for Michigan, I've talked about how I already like Bufkin and McDaniel, but I really like Joey Baker if Jet Howard misses again. If Chucky Hepburn misses for Wisconsin, 
I talked about how I already like Connor Asijan. Well, if he does miss, it would bring into play Jordan Davis and Kamari McGee. Based off of what they did against Michigan, I would be inclined to think that more of the minutes go to McGee, but I don't really know how much he'll do with those minutes. It would be more of a situation where if I knew they were going to play Jordan Davis, I think Jordan Davis would be a lineup lock, but I, I just don't really know with him, right? But when he does play a lot of minutes, he's been really good. So I kind of think that the minutes are going to go to McGee, but I don't know if the production is going to be there to make it worth your while. Now for Illinois, I would expect Jay Neps to miss this game. He is in the concussion protocol, and that would bring into play Ty Rogers, RJ Melendez, and Luke Goody. Of the three, I would probably prefer Melendez. I think it's a more natural minute-for-minute -minute swap with Epps in terms of the role that those two guys have. Um, however, I could also very easily see some of those minutes going to Ty Rogers as well. Now, other non-injury-dependent plays in this range. Uh, one that I really do like in the 3K range is Dexter Ocano of Oregon State. He was inserted back into the starting lineup for Oregon State's last game and had 24.8 fantasy points. I don't think he'll get that every night because he didn't earlier in the season when he was a starter, but it's definitely a big-time improvement over what he was doing when he was on the bench, and he's still priced like he's being on the bench. And then for Arizona State, Jemiah Neal, I believe it's Jemiah, had a big-time game in their last one. And it was kind of random. It kind of came out of nowhere. Maybe it was matchup dependent with the Arizona game, but we did see a big game out of Jemiah Neal. He had 31.8 fantasy points in 27 minutes, season high in minutes and fantasy points. So if you want to kind of ride the hot hand there, I could see going back to Jemiah Neal. All right, that does it for the guard position. So let's take a quick breather and then let's break down the big fellas. <music> All right, taking a look at the forward position, y'all. I got to be totally honest, this very much looks like a five guard and three forward slate to me. I'm probably going to be playing two guards in my util spots. I just, I don't think there's a whole lot of depth at this four position. I think there's a lot of guys at the top that are intriguing, but I don't know if you can go all the way up to get two of them. You definitely can't go all the way up and get three of them. So I really just think that this is a slate where the guards are going to reign supreme. Now, maybe you can find yourself some dual eligibility guys to get in this forward spot. Maybe not, but... I don't know. I just I don't like the depth of this position on this slate. There's a lot of teams that play inconsistent rotations with their forward position, and there's a lot of guys that just have inconsistent production. So I just I don't really know if I'm going to be able to find four of these guys that I really like on this slate. So anyway, let's start at the top because at the guys at the top, I really do kind of like, if I'm being honest. The first one's Zach Eady. And I mean, what's not to like about Zach Eady, right? He's a leading National Player of the Year candidate. He's been great all season. And there's no reason to not expect him to be great, right? However, I don't know if on paper, Wisconsin is the best matchup. Wisconsin's 350th in the nation in tempo, which is going to slow the game down. And Wisconsin has a seven-footer of their own in Steven Crow. But here's the weird thing, though. And this is just kind of a hunch. I don't know if I can guarantee that this is how it will play out. But... Basically, Zach Eady has his best games when teams try to play one-on-one -on -one against him, right? When they don't double, when they don't dig, is when he has his best games. And so Wisconsin is going to think that they're going to be able to play one-on-one because -on -one they have Steven Crow, right? So if Wisconsin is not doubling in the post and they're leaving Crow one-on-one with Zach Eady, that's going to give Zach Eady a big-time potential for a big game if he can you know, finish up and over or around Stephen Crowell. So I actually kind of think that Wisconsin having a big of their own might benefit Zach Eady, as weird as that sounds, because his best games do come when teams try to match up with him one-on-one -on -one, as opposed to trying to just double him and get it out of his hands. Now, looking down the board, Azulis Tubelas of Arizona, 
I got to be honest, y'all, he's shown nothing in his last four games that make me think he's worth playing. Just looking at the box score. He hasn't been playing his full minute load. He's gotten into foul trouble, and he hasn't had a game that is anywhere close to four times value. Now, the one good piece of news, though, is that if you look deeper than the box score, the usage rate's still there. The usage rate's been over 20% in three of those four games. The exception is the Stanford game, where he was a total non-factor because of how much foul trouble he was in. So if you're somebody who would likes to bank on regression to the mean, I think that Azulis Tubelis is a really forward-thinking play because I think a lot of people are going to play Zach Eady, so you're going to get low ownership on Tubelis, and if you do get that regression to the mean, he could be in line for a big night. Another high-priced big that I like is Nafali Dante of Oregon. He's very intriguing to me because Cal may be without their big fella, Lars Thyman, and if Cal is without Lars Thyman, they are going to be very undersized in the interior. And that should allow Nafali Dante to just eat, if I'm being honest. And we've talked about Cal all season. They throw up so much bricks that if you're a good rebounder against Cal, you got a chance at a double-double. And on DraftKings, you get that three-point bonus for a double-double. And so I really think that Nafali Dante could be in good position to do that on Thursday night. Now, probably the big that's expensive that I like the best, and this guy might actually allow you to squeeze in two or maybe even three plays above 8K because he is really close to 8K, and that's Muhammad Gay of Washington State. I would prioritize getting him in my lineups. He's hit four times value in four of his last five games, which is enough on its own to merit a good lineup, right? I I think he's still underpriced, if I'm being honest. Now, what I'd really like about him is the matchup against Washington. He hit 40 fantasy points last time he played Washington. Washington. You know, coached by a Syracuse disciple. So they run that 2-3 zone to death, and it's not a great rebounding zone. And so offensive rebounders really can clean the glass against this Washington's team. It's what Gay did in the last game against him, which was what let him get 40 fantasy points. It's just a great matchup. I don't think people are going to be rushing to play him because I think he kind of sits in this little in-between range, and I think that he's an absolute smash spot for this Thursday night slate. Now, Taylor Hendricks of UCF is coming off of two great performances with 43.5 and 39 fantasy points, but the king of recent form at the forward position is actually Juwan Roberts of Houston. He has three straight games of 40 fantasy points or more. He has double-digit shots in all three of those games. And the interesting part is Houston's big man production has kind of flipped in the last three games. Roberts' three big games have come at the cost of the production of Jairus Walker, who has had three poor games. So if this trend continues... Juwan Roberts is a guy you can almost lock into your lineups, and Jairus Walker would be a guy to avoid. Now, if you want to, you know, kind of be a GPP guy and a leverage play guy, then maybe Jairus Walker would be your guy for this one because I think people are going to play Juwan Roberts. Now, we kind of talked about Juwan Roberts in the 7K range. Let's stay in the 7K range for one more guy. Let's talk about Harrison Ingram of Stanford. I think he's an elite cash game play. He hasn't been under 28 fantasy points in his last six games. He has a super high usage rate at 25%. He puts up a lot of peripheral stats, too. He isn't just a scorer. He gets you rebounds and assists. And the matchup against Oregon State isn't a bad one. He did have 28 fantasy points the last time he played Oregon State. This is also a game that Stanford is actually projected to win, according to Ken Palm. And so he actually plays better in wins than in losses. So I could see Harrison Inger being a really good play in any format, but he is an elite cash game player Thursday night. Now let's skip on down to the 6K range. So we talked about the Washington State side of things, how Washington is a poor rebounding team. Well, Washington State actually isn't the best rebounding team either. They're a little bit better when Rodman and Gay are on the floor together, but I kind of think that makes Braxton Mia of Wisconsin a very interesting play. 
And he's been over four times value in three of his last four games. He had 24.5 fantasy points against Washington State the last time these two teams played. Mia is also incredibly affordable on FanDuel. He's in the 4K range on FanDuel. So I think that that could be a really interesting value play on FanDuel. And I think on DraftKings, he still has the ability to go get you four or five times for that salary. Staying in the 6K range, Maxime Raynaud of Stanford has also been playing well lately. And Oregon State is... A really bad rebounding team. Like, they're down there with Washington in terms of rebounding. They are 290th in the nation at giving up offensive rebounds, and they are 300th in the nation at getting their own offensive rebounds, according to Ken Palm. So that is just not a good statistical profile in terms of rebounding. So I think that Ray Nod, like the other bigs of Stanford, like um, Harrison Ingram, had to think of the name there for a second. I wanted to call him Harrison Smith. That would have been bad. Um, so like Harrison Ingram, Maxime Raynaud has a lot of rebounding upside against an Oregon State team that really struggles to crash, crash the glass. Now heading on down to the 5K range. So Cal, it's been a rough year, y'all, if you're a Cal fan. And their one bright spot in the recent games has kind of been the offensive production of Kawani Kawani and Grant Newell. They've really been carrying the load offensively for this Cal team. And so they've turned in high usage rates. They've turned in good fantasy performances. But the problem is they're still not scoring a lot of points. So while these two are getting the touches and you know carrying the load offensively, if that load is only going to be 50 points, there's only so much upside that these two guys have. However, everybody has good shooting nights every once in a while, right? A blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. So if you are willing to kind of bank on maybe Cal has a good night offensively, Kawani Kawani and Grant Newell are two guys that you can put into your lineup. Now, there are honestly not a whole lot of bigs below the 5K range that I am interested in. You know, there's a few guys with dual eligibility that are intriguing, like a Ty Rogers or like a Jemiah Neal that I mentioned in the guard section of the podcast. Um, but one guy that is intriguing is Indy Okafor of Cal. He would be getting Lars Thyman's minutes at the five if Lars Thyman is out again. Um, I mean, like I said, though, it is Cal. So the upside is definitely limited, but you know, you're going to get a guy who at his price tag is out there on the floor, which is more, more than you can say about a lot of the other guys in the four and three K range on this slate. All right, y'all. So that does it for the breakdown of the four position. And that does it for this preview of the Thursday night DFS slate. So if you listen to all that and you're like, holy crap, how in the world am I going to put that into a lineup? And you want to see how I put it into a lineup. Head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. My official DFS picks will be heading on there on Thursday. Now, also, if you like what you heard on the podcast, please hit that subscribe button. You'll be notified when new episodes drop. We will be dropping an episode for the Friday games and the Saturday games later this week, so make sure you stay tuned for that. And while you're there, please rate and review. Y'all, I really didn't understand this till I started producing my own podcast, but rating and reviewing really does help out the creators a lot. So please show some support if you like what you're hearing. I really do appreciate it. I mentioned this before. I'm trying to be the biggest college basketball DFS podcast on earth, and I can only get there with your support. All right, so that does it for the really the last normal quote-unquote Thursday slate of the college basketball season, y'all. So we'll be back for the Friday slate, which is going to be surely very interesting and filled with conference tournament games of mid-major teams that I've watched once all year. So we'll see how that goes. But anyway, we will be back for that Friday slate. But in the meantime, hopefully this Thursday preview gave you enough guys that you can get into your lineup that you can win some money on Thursday night. So best of luck to everybody in their DFS endeavors. Hope you're able to win some money Thursday night. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see you next time. Mm-hmm.